HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Two percent, two percent, two percent. Uh, the two percent's right over here. Oh, hey, Jenna. I didn't know you shopped here. Uh, yeah, anything to support local food, know what I mean? I definitely do. Though that's not the only thing you do in the name of Good Eats, obviously. Well, true. I also host Eating Matters every Wednesday at 5 p.m. where we talk about food policy and how it impacts all of us. Be sure to tune in. All right, gotta get the plug in there, I get it. Yep, I'm hashtag shameless. You know what else you can do to support the local food community, right? Well, yeah. Make a donation to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. That's right. And I gotta call you out on the whole local thing. What do you mean? Well, The Farm Report, A Taste of the Past, Japan Eats. Those are shows that take you around the country and the world. I'll give you that. So how can listeners give their support? It's pretty easy. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the big red heart in the top right corner. It's pretty easy from there. Thanks. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit Corin.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Japan Eats. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Roberto's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Chris Johnson, who is the president of Sake Ninja LLC, a sake consulting firm based in New York City, and he has been actively educating people about sake, consulting for restaurants, and judging at notable sake competitions for the last 20 years. He's been featured in a number of national publications, including New York Times, Wine Enthusiast, Cosmopolitan, New York Magazine, and Black Book, as well as Japanese publications. So today we'll talk about how Chris found his passion for sake, how he became sake samurai, how to pair non-Japanese food sake, and much more. 
Hello, Chris. Welcome to Japan Eats. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. So,、um, you're born and raised in New York, and how did you get into Japanese sake? So, my family has a four generation relationship with、uh, a Japanese family in Tokyo.、Uh, my grandfather was commander of the Seventh Fleet、oh. and stationed in Yokosuka after World War II. Too closer to、uh, Korean、mm. uh, wartime. And my mom lived in Japan for two years, and then my sister lived in Japan for two years. Oh, wow. So, as a little, a little boy <laughs> in my house, there was always Japanese items in the house. We had a big samurai helmet that I used to get yelled at <laughs> every time I put it on my head, and we had visitors from Japan. So,、um, a lot of their family came to the United States for college, and on their college breaks, they would come to my house for Christmas rather than going back to Japan.、Mm. So, from three years old, I was exposed to Japanese culture.、Wow. Uh, and then when I graduated college and was going, what should I do with my life?、Mm. I applied to this program called the JET program.、Mm. So maybe you can tell us about the JET program. So the JET program is a, a government program that's a Japan exchange and teaching program where、mm. people from different cultures come and not just teach English or Spanish or French to、uh, Shogaku or. Elementary school and junior high school students and high school students, but also teach culture.、Mm. So I was hired by a very small town in Kyushu、mm. called Kusumachi,、okay. uh, where I taught English to junior high school and kindergarten kids for three years. Okay, yeah, because JIT is known for, like, before you go, it was like, oh, that's great, so have a great time. And then once you get there, you're just in the middle of nowhere. Nobody speaks English.、No. <laughs> you are I, lost. Was, I was definitely、uh, out there on my own when I. I told this story last night to someone, which is kind of funny that it just came up again. But、uh, we all meet in Tokyo for a training, and you learn a few things about how to teach English and, and how to interact with the students and culture shock and all that. And、uh, so 40 of us from Oita Prefecture all went down on the same plane,、mm. and 39 of us、mm. went to a meeting in Oita, and、right. one of us went in a car and drove. Through the mountains and through the valleys <laughs> and through the mountains and the valleys and rice fields and rice fields and rivers, and then ended up in a really small town, and that was me.、Mm. <laughs> so I was, I like immediately got separated from the rest of the group, and <laughs> two and a half hours later, I was in a, the tiny town of Kusu, which is an amazing place, and I learned about Japanese culture and Japanese food and, and history, and that was what really turned me on to this whole、mm. future in, in the industry. Right. So even if you were. Kind of exposed to Japanese culture since you were little. It's like, I, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> I was not prepared for what I was brought, what I was brought into. It was, it, it was amazing, though. It was,、uh, I did every festival you could imagine. I harvested rice, I planted rice. My homestay family were farmers, so I got to interact、wow. with the soil and really understand a different lifestyle than what most people, when they go to Tokyo or Osaka or some of the bigger、mm. cities, which is also an amazing component of Japan. It's very different from what my experience was.、Mm, maybe you were the only gaijin in the whole village or something like that. Pretty, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's great. That sounds really deep for、yeah. three years. Yes. Right. Um, so, um, this, you know, like you were there, and then probably you're drinking sake too, right? Well, for me, initially, sake was、um, part of a social meeting. Right? Mm. It was, we were in a town office. So I worked in the Board of Education and was based in the town office. So, oftentimes, especially not just in the cities, but in the countryside, you have many work、mm. events, or we call them enkais or, <laughs> or night parties. And so I was exposed to quite a bit of sake through that, but I wasn't exposed to sake in a manner of 
let me smell it, let me taste it, let me think about it. It was, you know, mm. kampai. And, you know, you hand, you hand your cup to the senior and the, you pour it for the senior, then he right. drinks it, then he hands it back to you, and you drink it and you keep going back and forth and mm. you're interacting socially, which is, a, which is a very interesting component of the small sake cup in Japan that, mm. you know, you're constantly filling it so that we're paying attention to each other right. and noticing our guests. But sometimes when you're the new guy... At a town office party,、mm. you have to drink a lot of sake. <laughs> you're gonna say no. There's no, there's no word no. It's yes. Until they say no, you keep saying yes.、Mm. Uh, so I was exposed to lots of sake, but there wasn't very much sake that was super high end. I was, was,、mm. um, was exposed occasionally, but most of my experience was very good quality, like Junmai or Futsushu.、Mm. So, so then you didn't. Have much interest in sake when you were in Japan? I, I didn't necessarily have the interest level that I have now.、Mm. I think the, the really for me, my aha moment, or、mm. you know, how in the industry we love aha moments because we want to give someone else that moment of、oh, wow, that's amazing,、mm-hmm. right? Whether it be food or drink or cocktail or a new flavor. Yeah, for me, it was,、um, I was after three years, we were wrapping up, and I had what they call in Japanese a sobetsukai or a farewell party.、Mm. And one of the presents I received was a 1.8 liter bottle of Daiginjo from. Kokonoi Town's、uh, Yatsushika Brewery.、Mm. Um, it was his top level. At this point, you know, I knew sake, but I didn't know what quality sake was. And、mm. I'd also had three years worth of stuff. I'd already packed everything. I was ready to go home. And I looked at this bottle and I went, wow, that's <laughs> going to be hard to get home. <laughs> so, in my internal Japanese essence, also felt this is a beautiful present. Let's share it together.、Oh, nice. right? So, let's all drink it together. So, We poured out cups for everybody and we said kampai, and I sipped it and I went, What?、Mm. Where was this for the last three years?、Oh, <laughs> and、wow. I turned to my friends and was like, Why did I never drink this?、Mm. And they're like, Well, we don't know. We don't drink Daiginjo very often. You know, we drink this one. So I had the Daiginjo and I went, This is amazing. So、mm. I promised myself that I would go home to the US and, and learn about restaurants and learn about sake. So that's where my, my, my real education. Of sake came when I returned to the US.、Mm, so the, that farewell gift changed your life. It changed my life. Yeah, it totally changed my life. Put me in a whole new direction of what my career became. So.、Mm, right. So, so the after teaching English for three years for kids, so you came back here and then you, I heard、uh, you, know, you said in restaurants, but you did、uh, prep cook work、mm-hmm. at a Japanese restaurant called Katsuhama. So you thought of Becoming a chef and then doing some sake business. I had initially planned on when I was coming back to New York, three friends in Oita. One was a Japanese gentleman who owned the restaurant and bar we used to go to in Oita City.、Mm. Another friend was from New Zealand. And the three of us decided we wanted to open a restaurant together in Auckland.、Ah. Um, so I said, I'll go home and learn. Restaurant business in New York, and then we'll all meet up in New、mm. Zealand later. New Zealand never happened, but so my agreement was to come back. I'd never had any restaurant experience before this.、Mm. I had met a friend who worked at Katsuhama on a flight、mm. from New York to Japan, <laughs> and we sat next to them and we started talking, and you know, we kept, kept in touch. And when I said I was coming back, I said, Oh, I want to get into the restaurant industry. Do you know any、mm. links? And she said, Well, I could probably get you a job as a prep cook at Katsuhama. And I said, That's where I'll start then.、Wow. So I started out doing 
you know, carrot ginger dressings and <laughs> tonkotsu sauce and, <laughs> and tugo sushi. And so I, that was the beginning of my career. And they had sake at、mm. Katsuhama, but it was the old, it was, I hate that word old because now it says I'm old because it's 20 years ago. <laughs>、um, <laughs> 20 years ago, it was the classic, you know,、mm. Otokoyama. Suishin, Onigoroshi,、right. like、mm. the, the ones we all knew of, those four that were kind of everywhere in the staple Japanese locations. And I was like, okay, learned a little bit about it, and、mm. then went on to another job、uh, with a chef that ended up being the chef at Bond Street called, it was a bar called The Sushi Bar.、Mm. And that's where I first met、um, Kazu Yamazaki and Hiromi Yuchi from two different importers that were bringing in. Mm. Higher quality sake.、Aye. And that was the beginning of a continued aha moment of wow, there's so much good sake out there.、Mm. And it was amazing. Wow. Okay. And then、uh, I'm sure being, you know, working in the kitchen, you'd learn all those、uh, taste profiles. So maybe it contributes to your work now. Developing your palate in every way helps you get better at your own specific job. So learning how to taste food helps you learn how to taste sake.、Mm. And learning how to taste wine helps you learn how to taste food. And all those little sensory notes you have to pick out help in every level. So working、mm. as a prep cook and getting into that side of the kitchen did help develop my palate. Right. Because、uh, I don't know if you were in the kitchen, but you worked at、uh, Balsazal, Bone Street,、uh, Town, and Tom, and about 60. It's like all those fashionable. Good restaurant. I was front of the house for all those places. They, I wasn't in the kitchen anymore back then, but then I'd also you learn a different aspect of it. So there I was、mm-hmm. focusing more on wine and cocktails and was creating cocktails and,、mm-hmm. and working on wine lists and sake lists for Bond Street and,、right. and again doing the wine list the other, at the other, other places and again developing and understanding my palate and、mm-hmm. learning how to pair. Right. Right? When you're in the front of the house, you get to have the benefit of the wonderful food that the kitchen creates, but you also get to take. All these wonderful beverages and wines and sakes that the producers create, and then you can marry them together、mm. and have that even higher level of experience. Right. You're going to talk about、uh, your judging job, but、uh, you know, I think right now, sake is kind of deemed as a part of extension of wine. So that experience in non Japanese restaurants would really help to, to do your job, right? right. As a it judge, help, right? It helped to develop, again, developing my palate and allowing me to understand what. Great things in sake help elevate this non traditional foods and,、mm. and pairings in those, in those abilities. It's, it's a really fun sake is an amazing beverage, right? There's umami in it, and there's all these other things that we don't always get with, with certain wines. And then it's lower acidity, so it can play with food in a totally different way. The dance is different,、mm. right? It's a totally different dance that sake has with the food than what a wine would have.、Mm. And so, you know. Those different dances create a different energy and create a different way of looking at it and enjoying your meal.、Mm. So, sake is a wonderful thing to bring into a dining experience when someone doesn't expect it.、Mm. Uh, because they, sometimes people react like, oh, I don't think that,、uh, really? You're going <laughs> to sake? And then you pour it for them and you say, taste the food, taste the sake, let them come together in your palate,、mm. and then they get it. Right. Wow, sake can dance tango. Yeah, waltz, certainly you can. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right, so, speaking of the pairing, so in 2002, you opened a modern Vietnamese restaurant, Bao 111, and also in 2003, Bao Noodles,、uh, which focused on regional Vietnamese home cooking. So, why Vietnamese? Vietnamese, interesting enough,、um, when we, my partner,、uh, 
Chris Andrews and I decided to open uh, a restaurant together, we went to visit a space mm-hmm. on Avenue C and 7th Street. And it was a Vietnamese restaurant at the time. And we went to... We wanted to feel the energy of the space, right? Mm-hmm. Like anything, there's energy. And so right. you want to go in and feel the energy of the room. And if we went in and the room didn't feel right, mm-hmm. you're like, eh, maybe we shouldn't do it here, right? Because right. lo- it isn't just location. Sometimes it's how you feel and what you think you can do and the energy of the space. So we mm-hmm. went in and we sat down and had dinner. And the chef was uh, Bao Michael Hun. Mm-hmm. And he created some food. And the wine list wasn't great. The refrigeration was all weird but the food was amazing mm. <laughs> the food was so good <laughs> and my partner had just come back from nine months in vietnam mm. so i looked across the table at him and one of our investors and i said i know we were thinking french or japanese but how do you feel about vietnamese and mm. he went i think that's a good idea I... so we took our knowledge of other things mm. right wine and high level french cuisine and you know working at balvesar and some of these higher chef quality chef restaurants and saying mm hey, look what we can do. Right. Let's take our skill set and help elevate the food that Michael's already creating. Mm. And then let's take our experience in other beverages and see what happens. Vietnamese cuisine and sake is an amazing mm. pairing because there's so much fresh and bright flavors in Vietnamese cuisine. And there's the herbaceous notes and there's mm. the, the fresh Thai basil and other herbs that we interact. And sake really grabs a hold of those flavors and helps elevate them. Right. And then other things like fish sauce or shrimp paste, soy sauce, those are things that are... Umami-driven you know, components right. that really help mm. play along with that umami-pushed food. So we, when we have that sake to pair with it, it really, it's really a compliment. Um, and I was excited that it was an opportunity to take sake to another level mm. and show how good we can be with a cuisine that's not traditionally mm. Japanese. Interesting. And totally different flavors. Right. Yeah, it's like uh, even you are familiar with sake, you tend to think, oh, Japanese restaurant, drink sake. Right. If you go to Chinese, drink something else. Right? Yeah, exactly. So that you broke the wall. But you're trying to break down that wall and have people react differently. And when they have it, even for one of my first, very first pairings at, uh, at Bao 111 with uh, a bunch of brewers that had come over from, mm-hmm. from Japan. And uh, one of the brewers uh, was uh, Kamo Izumi. Mm. And Maigaki's, uh, Maigaki-san, uh, Mrs. Maigaki, In is a very, yeah, she's right. a very accomplished chef. Mm. And, you know, her husband has a great palate. And so they... I got lucky. I went to their home. Yeah, she's... And I had It was the dreamiest experience yeah. at Sakiburi. Me too. I had dinner there with her, and it was a, it, one of the greatest visits I've ever had. And mm. the food was brilliant. So when I did the pairing at my restaurant, I hadn't been yet to see them, but they'd come and it was the first time they'd come to New York and they were, you know, all excited and we, I did a, a pairing of the Shusen with a smoked duck. Mm. Um, and they called me over beforehand and they said, you know, pulled off the side, like covered the mic and went, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> and I said, I said, okay, um, I understand that. I respect that. I said, if at some point someone complains about it or has a comment about it, I will stand up in front of everyone at the restaurant. Mm. I'll draw everyone's attention and say mm. that pairing was all that was all me. Mm. I made that decision. You know, if you don't think it, if, if you're not enjoying it, it's please don't take it out on the sake. <laughs> it's all it's all my thing. But of course, before we served the restroom, I brought mm. them both a taste and and it warmed the sake slightly. Okay. And they they sipped and tasted and sipped and tasted and they looked and they were like, okay. 
Thumbs up. Go sell it. Thumbs up. We can do this. Mm. Uh, so that's some of the fun of, of, of pairing and thinking outside the boxes that you can even shock the people, create it. Interesting. And, and do some really fun pairing stuff. Mm. Wow. I can imagine. Wow. Okay. So the... And those things experience, I think, led to, to something special. In 1999, only three years after you came back to the States, you proved your competence as a sake expert at the first international kikisake competition. Uh, maybe you can tell us about that. What is the international kikisake competition and uh, how many people competed with you? So it was a competition of about 160 Japanese sake samayas and then 10 people from outside of Japan so wow. that they could become international. Only 10. <laughs> um, and 10 international and then 150 Japanese. Right. And I was, um, without <laughs> sounding funny, I was kind of like the token white person from New York to be participate mm-hmm. in the competition. Right. Uh, it was through um, a company at that time called Sake Service Institute, mm-hmm. um, and they created the, the competition. Okay. And so I went over with the, hey, Chris, would you be interested in participating in a, a sake samiya competition in, in Tokyo? We'll fly you over. We'll probably do a couple of brewery tours afterwards. And who says no to that? Mm. Right? I get to go back to Japan? Right. Of course I'll go. <laughs> um, not really knowing how in-depth the, the, the competition would be. Mm. Um, I sat down and I, I we had a written test, okay. a pairing test. Uh, we had to create a menu and then do a pairing menu, describe mm. a restaurant, and then we had a live on stage competition towards the end. And wow. each stage I passed, and my friend who had had organized me coming was like, "I didn't know you were going to make it this far." <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, "Oh well, what is there something I should know?" She goes, "Yeah, you need to come up with a cocktail." It was like a cocktail. Like, yeah, you have to do it on stage for the final competition. You should have to submit your cocktail now. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me? (laughs) No, she was like, I didn't think you needed to know. So created a cocktail, got up on stage, did the final, and I ended up coming in uh, third place out of all of the people involved, Mm. Um, And which was great. It it helped me understand that I did have a palate. When you're yourself and you're studying, you don't necessarily understand if you have a talented palate or if you have the ability to discern flavors and mm. and do all that you you learn as you're doing it and so when i was exposed to that and got the opportunity to kind of understand what i could do it really mm. made me more confident and then allowed me to come back and continue to do mm. the judging and the the competitions that i do now right but did you expect you're gonna go that far no <laughs> <laughs> not, not at all i mean you always have confidence right mm-hmm. like i know i knew at that point i had been pretty intently studying and tasting sake for three years. Mm. Um, so was working at Bond Street and developing those menus and, and dealing with a lot of, of uh, sake and watching sake get better. Mm. Um, sake levels uh, kept growing. The quality of sake available in the U.S. kept getting better and better, and I was able to expose myself to this and taste a lot of it. So mm. I felt like I had a good base, but right. I didn't think I was going to be able to be the top three with, you know, some some geniuses in the sake field that I'm still friends with today. So. Mm, amazing. So, and then, um, to emphasize your competence, you became sake samurai in October 2012. Um, what is sake samurai and why do you think you earned the title? <laughs> mm, sake samurai is, a, is a, an association that recognizes people who have... Uh, made inroads in uh, the sake industry, whether it be um, 
promoting it, educating about it, uh, importing it, uh, writing blogs, helping everyone understand uh, the level of sake some you know producing sake uh, there's there's many different people who've received the award i mean many there's 75 i think at this point mm. um, with this year included so it's uh it's a great honor and it's uh it's a compliment to say you know you are one of the driving forces of the growth of sake and the continued understanding and education of sake and so it was a great honor to receive that title it made me very very happy mm. well congratulations thank you very much <laughs> Okay, so um, yeah, let's take a quick break here, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk about Chris' recent judging experience at the major psychic competition. So please stay with us. And this one is called Classic by Soy. We'll be right back. Today's program is brought to you by Corin, supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. Corin is proud of their Japanese culture and traditions, but they want you to know that their products are not just for Japanese restaurants. Their knives and tableware bring out the best qualities of food from every culture and fit into every restaurant, from French to Pan Asian to American. And that is why they're located in New York City, where people from every country in the world come to eat. Corin's unique store in Lower Manhattan is home to perhaps the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan, plus the rarest natural sharpening stones and exquisitely designed tableware. They also host special events such as knife sharpening demonstrations and parties with New York's most famous chefs and restaurateurs. Corin is dedicated to this ideal, bringing the implicit and elegance of Japanese culture to your table. Be it in your home or in the finest restaurant. For more information, visit corin.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katema, and my guest today is Chris Johnson, a sake expert, educator, and a judge based in New York City. So um, you have consulted for many restaurants and developed many sake menus. So what is your strategy for successful food and sake pairings, including uh, with non-Japanese food? There are a couple of different things that we utilize when we're pairing, whether it be wine or sake or beer or whiskey. And it's uh, sometimes you're picking out uh, parallel flavors, so flavors that appear in the food or the cuisine and flavors that appear in the beverage. Mm. Um, that's one way of pairing. Then there's sometimes where you do contrasting pairing where it's something that's kind of almost opposite, but it really makes it work, right? Mm. So opposites attract or that, that kind of idea that sometimes that works. And then my favorite pairing, which is much more difficult, is the conjoined pairing or, or when when the beverage fills in a spot where the the food doesn't have and the food mm. fills in a spot that the beverage doesn't have okay, complement so, complementary other, right? like within not just as in similar flavors but as in very much with complementary flavors so mm. that mango pear and passion fruit note in the sake really elevates that 
those like peach and pear and light notes in the in the mm. salad perhaps so there's those little things like that you constantly work with but i love pairing with cheese and doing non-traditional pairings because of the way sake can interact with the food so mm. when i when i create a list for a different restaurant it's it's looking at you know having what kind of cuisine is it so yes we love daiginjo mm. the super elegant you know balanced beautiful high level sake but sometimes the cuisine mm. junmais are a better pairs so i might mm. have more junmais on that list versus another restaurant mm. where like french cuisine sometimes where it's much more more elegant and refined flavors on the plate mm-hmm. i might have more daiginjo on that on right. that menu um, well, the, it's interesting. It's like we've been talking about, you know, wines becoming, and the sake is becoming more like wine, you know, in terms of how, we see, how people see it. But, you know, there is a difference. Like, for instance, you know, sake is uh, less acidic in a way. And, of course, yep. in terms of uh, red wine, there's a tannin and there's no right, tannin. so there's no tannins, which, right. which allows you to do different things. Um, so sometimes some certain foods do want those tannins. Mm. Um, and then it's a little bit more difficult to pair sake with it. So there's other things you can do with the sake to kind of change it. Sometimes heating the sake will change the the complexity and the palate feel. Mm. So it'll help work with a different different flavor profile. Sometimes what I do also, which is fun to to work with our brains, because we're a very visual mm-hmm. person, right? Our our a lot of what we taste also comes through our eyes, even mm-hmm. though technically it doesn't. Right. But a lot of what we associate with it. So sometimes when I want someone to experience a really more earthy notes in their sake. I'll serve it in a ceramic cup on purpose. <laughs> Interesting. Right? So the tactile component of your fingers touching earthy mm-hmm. says earthy in your brain. So mm. I've done this kind of a blind tasting thing at a, at a restaurant in the past where I poured the same sake in three different vessels and didn't mm-hmm. tell them that it was the same sake, mm-hmm. but poured it in three different vessels just to see how people would react. Ah, interesting. And most people thought, that it was a different sake. Right. So now, it's a package of all the five or even six senses. Yeah, because you elevate it all. When you put that sake into a wine glass and mm. twirl it around, all of a sudden it becomes more elegant and the different notes come out. Right. Versus the you know the ceramic notes or even just the regular ochoco, you have totally different flavor experiences. Mm. Um, so it's a fun way to teach but also to pair. So you know if I want the sake to be more subtle in the beginning... I can put it in, in, a, in a, a wine glass or even put it in mm. a standard um, sake cup mm-hmm. where you don't get a lot of aroma, but you do get a little bit of flavor. Right. So with a lighter dish to start, it might be in that small cup and you sip it and you're like, oh, that's perfect. Mm. And then the next course, I move it into a little bit more earthy and then I can do guide it differently by how temperature I serve it and what vessel I serve it in. Right. Me, let me ask you that, you know, you mentioned uh, the warming up sake changes the mouthfeel structure. How does it work? I don't actually understand the no. science of it. Well, no, no, but you know how, you know, like, uh, <laughs> but, say, say I have this like, regular sake, right. but uh, by warming it. But by warming it, it, it the, the warmth uh, changes the, a little bit of the texture on, on the palate, and warm beverages attack your, your mouth differently than the cold beverage, right? Mm-hmm. So your cold beverage trying to generally tends to stay crisp and clean and stay in the middle oh. of your tongue, whereas when it's warm, it encompasses your palate. Like a rounder. So it gets rounder, it gets more fuller in flavor when you mm. warm it up. So that, again, changes our brain's vision of the textural right. component. So maybe like a creamy food, you should warm up sake. Right. Right. And like I like serving um, like a warm junmai with uh, pasta dishes, mm. like with a cheese-based pasta dish or a carbonara. Mm. Like I will take a junmai and warm it up, not hot, 
but just warm it up a little bit so that it interacts and it dances that that lovely dance we're talking about mm. dances a little bit more with the food that way sometimes if you take that same junmei and make it crisp cold and put it next to that mm. that you know carbonara or cheese and pasta dish mm-hmm. it, it falls flat because right. it's too but clean. if you have a caesar salad Crisp and crisp cheese and on top, that would work. Right, exactly. Interesting. Exactly. That's the fun of pairing. Mm. Wow. So, well, now that because you are such an, a great educator, you can just give us quick uh, sake 101. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the quickest sake 101 and try and be brief, you know, the first thing that I always want to make sure everyone understands is that sake is a fermented beverage, mm. right? And that's a very important component because it's not distilled, it's, it's fermented. And the yeast is a very important component of, of giving you those esters and those aromatics and, and the flavor mm. profile. Um, the next thing that's important is knowing that, you know, quality sake is about very few ingredients, mm. right? It's water yeast, rice, and koji, mm. right? When we have, you know, in the premium category, we can add a little bit of brewer's alcohol, and mm-hmm. so I will mention that in the conversation. But then mm-hmm. the next part about our sake 101 is remember the main categories, right? Mm-hmm. Junmai, ginjo, daiginjo. Mm. And that the levels of sake and within that are, are there's great quality sake in every level, mm. but when you're moving towards more elegance or more floral notes, you're moving from Junmai to Ginjo, getting a little more elegant, mm. more little, like not necessarily sweetness, but fruit, floral notes. Right. And then Dai Ginjo, which is the top level of elegance. And mm. so as a, as a customer and as someone I'm introducing sake first for so sake 101 or some people are learning about it, I always say, start with Ginjo, mm. right? Because it's the easiest to understand. Right. So right. the difference between Junmai and the Ginjo and Dai Ginjo is the, the milling rate. It's the milling ratio, rice, the polishing right? ratio. So... In the past, it used to be much easier to describe because you could say between 70 and 60, it's Junmai and Honjozo, and then between 60 and 50, it's Junmai Ginjo and Ginjo, mm-hmm. and then below 50, it's Junmai Dai Ginjo mm-hmm. and So 50 means 50% remaining. 50% milling remaining. And right. then 70 means 70% 70 remaining. 70% remaining. So in, in the Japanese, when we describe it, it's what's remaining from 100% down to 50%. Mm-hmm. Another thing we like to say is uh, think of sake rice kind of like a hard-boiled egg. And mm-hmm. the yolk uh, is pure starch. <laughs> right. And the closer you get to that yolk, the more elegant the sake becomes because there's less things to mm. interfere with the the uh, yeast doing their job. Right. Uh, proteins, amino acids, fatty acids, lipids all kind of inhibit fermentation. Mm. Um, sometimes I make a reference to this. Think about it, it's kind of like chaperones at a high school dance. Mm. Right. <laughs> the chaperones are there, and so the the kids aren't really dancing, but right. the chaperones go away, everybody starts to move. So <laughs> if we can get rid of those inhibitors, mm. then the yeast can really show what they can do. And that's when you get those layers of beautiful elegance that happen in the right. Daikinjo. Right. But at the same time, uh, that outer side con- in- in contains a umami and there's some personality of the wine right. center. Right. So, so it can be characters. That's why Junmais can have different levels of character. Like mm-hmm. some oftentimes... You know, when I think of a sake that's got a little bit more depth, a little bit more character, mm. um, I'll say Junmai because some of those other flavors, those earthy notes, those rich notes. Mm. And when you get more elegant, which is a different kind of character, right. when you mill away, that's when you get your daiginjos and your ginjos. So everything has its own place. There's mm. a reason for all levels of sake. We, you know, some people will say daiginjo is the greatest and that's what you should drink. And for me, I think daiginjos are amazing. They're like really beautiful burgundies or high-end Bordeaux, but I don't want to drink that every day. Mm, right. Right? The sake that's in my fridge or that's in my glass more often than not is a junmai right. or a kimoto style or, or mm-hmm. something to that effect that's not so elegant and fancy. It's more classic right. and enjoyable. So it's a different preference with right. the styles. Right. 
Okay. Um, all right. So the uh, the other thing I I'm always wanting to ask. So the sake cocktails. You know, I'm, I'm sure you developed many cocktail <laughs> recipes. Had, I've done a few in, in right? the past. So, what's your thoughts on that? Listen, taking a, a beautiful daiginjo and putting it into a cocktail is not what I recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, when I was first trying to get people interested in, in sake, especially outside of Japanese restaurants, there's other ways to get them to talk about it or get them to try it. Uh, in the very beginning, I used to infuse sake with flavors that I found that occurred in, in, in some of the other sakes I tasted, but not necessarily in everyday common. So, you know, taking a little bit of lemongrass or taking mm-hmm. some, some herbs or, uh, you know, taking cucumber and rosemary and, and infusing it into a sake and then having someone try that or even pineapple mm. and serving it to you and you taste it with the pineapple, you're like, wow, that's delicious. And I say, oh, okay, hold on a second. And then I grab a sake that actually doesn't have any infusion in it mm. and pour it for you and you taste it and you go, oh, wow, that's delicious. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> now I took you from someone who said you don't really like sake <laughs> to, oh, that's good to, wow, now I'm drinking sake. Mm. Um, so as a bridge to get to sake. I don't want anyone to ever take really high-quality sake and, and throw it into a cocktail just to throw it into a cocktail. Right. But if you're saying sakatini or you're saying sake cocktail, the word sake is in it. Now, mm. again, it's not. I'm not saying this should happen every day, mm-hmm. but there are ways to, to help develop um, right. people's understanding of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'll take sometimes in the summertime just to make something a little bit lighter, I'll, you know, put muddle some, some mint and and uh, make a lemongrass syrup and then add some, you know, light, crisp, clean sake to it. Mm. And it's, you know, a light alcohol summer type drink that's not too heavy, but crisp, clean and delicious. Mm. That makes sense. Right. Okay. So it's like uh, mixing a high quality sake. It's almost like mixing uh, Coke and uh, Frost Gross, Bulldogs kind of thing, right? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Not recommended, but as one of my my favorite brewers who unfortunately passed away recently... um, uh, at Yoshinogawa, he said that mm. I make the sake, but once you buy it, it's yours. <laughs> so I can no longer tell you what to do with it. Right. So if you want to put it on the rocks or you want to put soda in it or you mm. want to squeeze a lime into it, that's how you enjoy it. Right. That makes me happy. I make it in a certain <laughs> way. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to tell you how I would prefer you enjoy it. Right. But you bought it. Yeah. It's yours. Well, the Ishinoga, I think, is like a 19th generation yeah. old brewery. So yes, very old they, brewery. They say yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, like, he used to drink his Gokujo Ginjo on the rocks. Oh. And all his friends in the brewing industry were always like, why would you do that? Why are you putting it on the rocks? And then he'd pour it for them and serve it to them on the rocks. And they'd go, oh, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no rule. There's, there's never rules. There's always, there's always recommendations. And I say the same thing to mm. my, my guests at the restaurants I work at. I go, I, I recommend that you have it this way. Mm. But if you want this sake warmed up, I'll happily warm it up for you. Mm. I, I, would, I would suggest you have it this way. But again, you're the one who's enjoying it. Right. I'm just here to help educate and open your mind to other ideas. Mm. But if this is how you want to have it. Right. I'm not going to tell you no. Interesting. And also, I think your preference keeps changing, too, yes. the more you experience. The more you experience, and then, again, different times of day, different times. Where, where are you in your meal? Mm. Right? I mean, there's plenty of daiginjos that, that taste amazing warm. Mm. I've been I had an experience when I was in, in Niigata at a, at a brewery where we went to a restaurant, and throughout the meal we had five different daiginjos that were all warmed and mm. for how long were you always told don't eat daiginjo <laughs> right. you should never do that <laughs> yet this is a brewery that's been around for a long time that's warming their daiginjo because it actually complemented the cuisine and it tasted fantastic mm. okay so again no rules no rules right 
And uh, so I heard that you just came back from uh, Hawaii um, to serve as a senior judge at the U.S. National uh, Sake Appraisal. So what is it and uh, how important is, for, uh, is it for sake producers? The U.S. National Sake Appraisal was created um, 16 years ago, uh, kind of as a, an opportunity to, to involve um, both Japanese judges of you know very well-respected senseis, and then mm. generally uh, five um, American or non-Japanese palates. That doesn't mm. mean that it's not necessarily a Japanese person, but it's someone who's living or working in the U.S. So that we have a different take on mm. what sake, what what makes good sake, and and what doesn't. Um, we judge based on this very similar to the way the Japan competitions place. So mm. you know, aroma, balance, overall taste, and then overall impression. Mm. And for the brewers, it was always something interesting because they wanted to see what the American palate or the the non-Japanese palate, the the Western palate was looking for in a sake. What what sakes did these Mm. five judges think were better? So the points is overall, whether it gets gold, silver, but we can see in the, the, the companies that aren't available in the U.S. Like most of the U.S. National Sake Appraisal, I think over 50% this year was not items that weren't available in the U.S. yet. Mm, okay. So it's, a, it's like a testing ground for, for many of them. And ah. we try and give back. I, mean, I say we. It's not. I don't run the competition. I'm just a judge. But, <laughs> as, a judge, but as a judge, <laughs> it's to, they, they like to be able to provide the brewers mm. with information and, and, and understand. And I always, I always tell guests at the events where you get to taste the things we've judged, like the joy of sake, mm. um, that... Even if it didn't get a gold or a silver, it doesn't mean that it's an inferior sake. Mm. Um, sometimes uh, sakes that are, are bold and big and impactful um, can score in a certain way. Mm. And then other ones don't score as well necessarily, but it doesn't mean that it's not a great sake. Mm. Uh, as, as many people say, and, and there have been a few haiku written about it, that there's no such thing as a bad sake. <laughs> Depending on how much you you drink, exactly. <laughs> right, um, but uh, I heard it's about three hundred fifty sakes. This year there was four hundred and eight. Oh wow! So four hundred eight sakes over two days. Mm. Um, we taste every sake, um, and then there's a round two, so approximately six hundred and twenty-four uh, tastings over two days. Wow! Yeah. Well, your tongue maybe numbing gets a little tired you got a lot of focus you know you're expectorating and then uh sipping sipping water and then little green tea and apples to kind of reset your palate ah interesting so but you know like you said uh, there's no right you know the the price is like the better higher the better but uh there may be some trend reflecting in the market it lets you know what because overall as a group you know what what flavor profiles are moving in what direction and what sakes tend to to score better and mm-hmm. that happens as well in the japan competitions and 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 in the iwc um international wine challenge uh, for sake as well you you can kind of see where all of our palates change constantly mm-hmm. and what we like changes and then what what the market is is making mm-hmm. um junmais have slowly become moving and becoming a little bit more ginjo-esque lately oh okay right? um and so there's that that's an interesting conversation that we have with the, the fellow judges and say, mm. you know, is that a trend that they're doing in Japan or is that something that people want to see happen? Like hmm. for me, I think I always when a Junmai in my judging experience, when a Junmai tastes too much like a Ginjo, mm. I mark it down one point. Ah, 
because it's uh, it's not the uniqueness. It's not junmai. Right. I mean, it is junmai, but it's it's tasting a little bit more like a like a ginjo. So for me, that's a that's a ginjo. I don't I don't beat it up, but if mm. it was, you know, a two, it becomes a two and a half. Interesting. Right? So you mark it down just a little right. bit, and that that's just that's me. Not everybody does that, but that's that's my own you know thought mm. process on it. So, like, you know, the California wine, it to be bigger, bolder, more alcohol. Right. But then it's kind of started to be more kind of like uh, suppressed. In terms right. Well, it's changing. And then right. that's our palates get more developed as well. And so when you learn to understand more flavor profiles in, mm. in sake or in wine, it's the, you know, what wines did we start out with? Mm. Wines were Merlot and Chardonnay and fruity and fruit forward. And now... You know, we sell more and more of Cabernet Franc and mm. and, and other expressions, though you know, Loire Valley wines and right. and things as such that are developing. Right, mm. sake will do the same thing. Mm. Right, I think as more and more people get to know sake, think about, you know, everyone says I don't want a sweet sake, mm. right? And then you have to ask them, well, what do you mean? Because sakes all have different expressions and the only real sweet sakes are truly truly sweet are going to be your nigoris or your mm. you know purposely sweet sakes um nigori is still a very popular style mm. of sake in in the u.s um and obviously that's pretty sweet but that's an easy entry for someone mm. right that's why also ginjo tends to be an easier to understand you have those floral notes you have those fruity notes so for someone who's a novice to it mm. that's the easiest thing to approach if you right. give them a funky earthy you know <laughs> depth of flavors like a Kimoto Junmai, that might scare you away the first time, mm. right? But once you understand it, and then I can say, here, this is what we're having with food. Let's have this sake. Now you taste it and you go, wow, that's amazing. But if it's the first time you taste it, ginjos tend to be a little bit easier to understand. And, and we often guide people to ginjos as their first expression. Mm. But again, depends on the guest's knowledge. So if you're a wine drinker, I will always ask you, and one of the restaurants I was working at, I would always ask the guest, mm. what kind of wine do you like? Mm. What wine do you drink? If it was red, what would it be? If it was white, what would it be? And then that helps me know where I should take you in the socket realm. Mm. Okay. So speaking of uh, what kind of uh, sake is selling in the market? I mean, you do consulting a lot at restaurants, right? So, I mean, I think for me, the trend of, of sake is obviously... We're doing great with the ginjo and the daiginjos and the elegance, and, and people like that, that beautiful flavor profile. But what seems to be resonating more and more with foodies and mm-hmm. people who are looking for something to really complement their cuisine is this move towards Kimoto and Yamaha style. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I personally love the depth that those sakis create, and I think every style has its place, and, mm-hmm. and every, we need to have all those different styles. But I see that moving a little bit more in that direction of, of layers right. of flavors, more depth. And because people are more experienced in drinking sake in this country. Because everybody's palate's getting better and understanding sake more. And so when you look for more, what do you want when you, you know, what gives you more depth and layers of flavors mm. is where we're headed. Um, I think sake is a brilliant market. It's got, it continues to grow every year, you know, 11%, right. if not more every year, um, mm. besides an occasional down blip because of economy. But in general, sake is mm. continuing to grow and getting bigger and bigger. Uh, more and more people are exposed to it. And once you're exposed to sake, you never stop. <laughs> That's what I know. <laughs> right. um, I'm curious, though, that you know you just described what's selling right now as a trend. But then at the competition, you know, the appraisal, did you see there's a consistency between what uh, people judged, awarded the prize, and what people drinking in the market right now? 
Kimoto's did pretty well in both competitions. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to, to to do well, but it's just like it's similar to anything. There's within that style or Kimoto Yamaha style sake is you know you're judging them, and then within that you're you're elevating or mm. evaluating them as to you know where they stand in that in that right. spot. Um, one of the hardest things about judging, and and this is true of all the judging competitions, is that uh, when you're judging that many sakes, whether it's a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, or even fifty, mm-hmm. sweetness kind of tends to win a little bit. Uh, so sakes with a slightly higher sugar content tend to do better, especially later in the competition, mm. um, because our bodies always love sugar as much as you say, I don't right. like dessert. Yeah, you do. You need that sugar. Your body operates off sugar. So mm. sometimes that affects um, the right. style. But I, I do believe that um, as we continue to grow sake, I think those those older styles and some of those unique components of, of sake will start to come out more and more and more. Mm. It really shows the maturity of this market. Right? Yeah. I mean, New York... London as well. I mean, all over the over the world, where where people are getting more and more into the challenge of sake and the love of sake, which I think is a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not just it's it. We've moved so far from you know the five dollar mm-hmm. picture of hot sake or, or you know the all you can drink hot sake with your sushi meal and 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 those things. We're moving so far away from that. And I think that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been able to grow the sake culture in this country very very quickly. I mean, over probably forty years. Mm-hmm. You know, between the first importers to now and uh, and the layer and level of quality that is now available in the states and the clientele that's buying it is amazing. Mm. Well, speaking of, you know, um, there are American sake producers. Right? How do you see their quality, their motivation, their whatever? I think it's great. Um, I think anytime you can uh, get more interest into a beverage and have people that are seeking out to brew sake in the u.s there's people here that have gone to japan to study Mm. sake and then come back and make sake here um i think it builds a bridge to the japanese products Mm. Um, one of the hardest things about uh sake uh in in america is that it's quite expensive Mm. when you start getting to the quality level sake it's it's a it's a big price tag and it's hard for someone who doesn't know a beverage to go out and spend 22 to 30 dollars on their first bottle Mm -hmm. right it's risky it's risky you know that if you know a little bit about wine or you have a trusted wine store you can go in and get three bottles of wine that are quite good for that same price of one bottle of sake Mm -hmm. um so i think with the development of you know these great people brewing in the United States and doing some of the, the unpasteurized sakes and some of these other expressions, we're going to get people a chance to try these, mm. try sake at a reasonable price point mm. um, and be able to really go, wow, now I want now I want to go buy that Daiginjo because right. I understand what it is. So I think the more and more we have that growth of sake here in the U.S., I think it's going to be a great thing. Plus, United States or quote-unquote American sake doesn't have to taste exactly like Japanese sake. Mm. It can have its own character. It can have its own thing because our cuisine is different than Japanese cuisine. So give it, give it, make it so all beverages were originally made to pair with their food, right? I mean, we've created now beverages that are just made to be beverages. A lot of Californian wines and things were created because this was a certain style you were looking for. But if you go back historically and look at wine regions and, and what wines are made in Alsace versus made in, in mm. you know, the coast in Muscadet versus other places or Basque country, the wines right. reflect the food. Mm-hmm. Right? It's terroir. So it's terroir. Mm. So sake 
and here in America, as we make it, should、mm. emulate Japanese sake and follow the rules,、right. but it can taste a little bit different and be a little bit bolder or,、mm. or different based on our cuisine. Right. Yeah, we had a guest,、uh, Top Bell and me, from、uh, Dubtail Sake、mm-hmm. in Boston, and I think episode 36. And he was, his sake was amazing. So it's very fresh because、yeah. it's nama. Right, bright、mm. flavors, but it, again, it, it is expressing his.、Mm. It's his sake. Right. Boston.、Right? So it's his, his thought process, and that's, that's what's great about it is、right. that experience what he's putting in a bottle and enjoy it because,、mm-hmm. uh, like I said, all sake is good. Right. <laughs> okay.、Um, so, where can, you, can we find your updates, your projects? I mean,、uh, right now, I,、uh, I am working at、uh, the Waldorf Astoria、mm-hmm. at the restaurant called Le Chien, which is their fine dining Chinese restaurant.、Um, mm-hmm. Working on the floor as a manager and sommelier,、uh, helping doing sake pairings and Japanese,、uh, Chinese rice wine pairings as well as regular wine.、Yeah. Um, I'm consulting with a few different、uh, distributors and importers、uh, to educate and help move brands into other areas of the United States.、Mm. And I'm going to continue to do that. Right. That's exciting. You can always find me at, at the Sake Ninja on Instagram and Twitter. Okay. That's where I am. Sure, we'll find you. Right. right. But keep us posted. I、That's, will. Right. You're really、um, kind of a cheerleader of Sake. I、industry. love it. And I will always be cheering for it for as long as I can. <laughs> Great. All right. So thank you for joining us today, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. So, listeners,、uh, if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And you can sign up for our newsletter to get fun updates and event information at the bottom of our homepage. And Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher podcasts. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. I、uh, really, really appreciate your feedback. And today's show was made possible by Corin, and our engineer is David Tadasiore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website. Or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.